This is the 96th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Berners. With me is my dear co-host Christopher Wikström. Robin Svensson is out due to logistics, but he will be back very soon. Warm welcome to you, dear listener. Hello, everybody. I hope you're doing well. Stockholm Legacy Report can be found whenever we release on the TopNect app. In this episode, we discuss a simple, nice evening with Paper Legacy, as well as recent format changes few of us saw coming, but probably most of us are very happy about. Yeah, for sure. I don't think a lot of people had this on their radar. You know, we've we've been conditioned into a mindset of, you know, things get banned. It's very rare to see, you know unbannings and uh, i think this is a very healthy unban as well if you look at you know all of the cards that they could have unbanned they picked one that i think might have sparked the most enthusiasm from from the legacy crowd I mean, oh, indeed. Like, I mean, following up from the last episode, I mean, we were indeed correct in assuming that Orcish Bowmasters were not up for banning. And we did see, however, the unban of Mind's Desire. Probably no one listening to this has missed this. But as you say, I mean, I have seen exactly zero individuals on the internet expressing anything but joy over this. Uh, Meaning... We do not need to spend so much time discussing sort of was this the right thing to do or not. It, it clearly was. Yeah. However, I would like to point you all to the fact that there are five different artworks for this card. I did not know this until this was unbanned and I looked into it. And there is a Strixhaven Mystical Archive, card number 17, which really slaps. Fantastic art. I encourage paper players to pick this one up because it's a beauty. Also, I do want to ask, does this unban Christopher scratch an itch for you i mean i love combo and uh, this is a combo card yeah of course it scratches an itch but more importantly i think it gives some help to decks that have been sort of pushed out of the meta by bowmasters i mean storm has been on sort of a decline recently uh, when it comes to top finishes and that's a lot due to not the only the bowmasters but you know the decks getting to play bowmasters are really good decks against storm so you know death shadow and stuff like that I, I think this can give you some cool tutor targets it also gives high tide some more payoffs so you don't have to you know, lean in too heavily on a spiral. So I I definitely think that this is a slam dunk. I will be trying out some Minds Desires soon at our local game store, but I won't I, I won't say in what deck. Oh good, good. Can't spoil all the fun for every one of us who's gonna be there, right? Exactly. It's definitely gonna be worse than all of the Minds Desires list you've seen so far, but it's I'm I'm going in. I'm going in. <laughs> I'm going in. This is not a drill. I, I am concerned, sort of, I'm not concerned, but perhaps a bit on my radar is, however, the time consumed by resolving some copies of Mind's Desire, having looked online at what people are doing, I immediately came across on, on the second day, I think, after the unban, Killaby had this screenshot of casting Mind's Desire, storm count is 63, and you're like, okay, um... Does this take some time in Paper Legacy to sort of just resolve? So I think if you would be 
really, you know, um, strict about it. And you played against an opponent that is, in Swedish, we call it paragrafryttare, which is practically everything needs to go by the book. Then this spell would take some time to resolve. However, my first tweet, I wanted to meme a bit about this, and I actually got some cool information that I think is how you resolve it. That is, when you have shuffled your deck and presented it to your opponent, the cards are randomized. So if you flick the first card and don't cast an instance between your storm triggers resolving, shuffling the deck will not really make a difference since it's randomized already. So I think that there are ways to actually play this faster in paper than having to shuffle the deck in between each storm trigger. I was thinking if you're up one game, let me say you're one and zero, you're approaching time and your opponent costs a sort of a 20 storm count monster sorry. Could you force them to shuffle the, <laughs> their deck in order to stall out the game? I mean, they are probably going to win <laughs> with that. So sure, if you want to sit there forever and watch them kill you slowly i mean sure you could do that but you're still going to rounds in time <laughs> on the other hand though if you're up 1-0 and you resolve a 20 storm minds desire and it's three minutes on the clock and you want to stall for time that's the other question like should you resolve one and then start shuffling again like it's i don't know it's bm it's uh, one of the reasons why i think a chess clock would be a lot better <laughs> than, uh, you know, ch- shared time. We have now our own sort of segment, I think many uh, a popular podcast have had at one time or the other. Am I the asshole? In <laughs> this case, truly yes. I actually had one of those moments recently. Last Sunday, I was playing Commander at a friend's place and I didn't bring any decks because one of the, the hosts has like 20 different decks. So I could just, I, we played three or four games And I played a new deck in between each round. And after our first game, I said, oh, did anyone hear about the changes in Legacy? Because none of them play Legacy. And they're like, no. And I was like, okay, Mind's Desire got unbanned. And it's pretty cool. I mean, it's a six mana spell, but, you know, there are very cool applications in Legacy. And he points to one of his decks and says, that deck has Mind's Desire in it. And I was like, okay, I'll try it out. So I was sitting there doing nothing for eight turns, and then I was about to die. So I started storming off, and my first Mind's Desire hit Underworld Breach among some of the cards and some rituals. So then I just proceeded to storm off so heavily for 10 minutes when they were just sitting there and none of them had interaction. I had this creature that said whenever I cast an instant or sorcery, I get a treasure token as well. (laughs) So I just built all of this mana. So the first Mind's Desire was for like six or eight cards. The second was for like 12 or 13. And the third one was for 20 plus and I got a gutter snipe into play. And they were all just like scooping it up. And uh, (laughs) I was like, imagine in Legacy when you're playing a 60-card deck with four Minds Desires. And they're like, that doesn't sound like fun. I'm like, it's the most fun you can have. It's such a a moment of tension when those cards get flipped. It's like 
ad nauseum but mega high stakes you don't know if they're gonna flip an emrakul or if they're gonna flip another mind's desire or like a time spiral i think this card is a uh, very dramatic you have to work a lot for it but it's a very fun card to play with and against due to that because they can brick but after a certain storm count it's very unlikely but yeah I, i'm really happy about this mostly due to the reasoning that they decided to unban it i think it's it was very healthy reasoning that you know this card doesn't seem as dangerous now with the prevalence of orcish bowmasters in yep. the format yep. and i think that this is sort of a good way to help those decks that might want to play this to face off against those those decks so i i think this slam dunk yeah and this is another reason why i also really love bowmasters in the format right now yeah it really it really opens up things a lot of people they're like oh bowmasters is killing is killing legacy but sure it is killing a lot of x1 creatures but when it comes to putting some pressure on blue players i think bowmasters is kind of making people scared at least think about how they can trip. And that's one of the things when you introduce new people to the format and they start playing against good players and they face uh, their first real good blue mage and they just, you know, can trip and have answers for everything, it can kind of put some people off. For me, this is one of those cards that's making people be more careful and can trip a bit less uh, rigorously. So I think I'm I'm really happy about Bowmasters and I don't think it's too strong for the for the meta but we'll see. So yeah, I did not partake in any paper legacy last week, um, so I will take over from here and do our paper report because Victor did play Reanimator. Can you believe it? At our local game store. And you know, this man, he's refusing all of the new uh, Zoomer tech of Atraxa and, you know, Troll of Casadoom. Why do you insist of being such a non-adapter and how did your tournament go? Well, those two are intertwined answers. Uh, I went three and one in this tournament. The reason for me doing so was that I got to do a couple of turn one Grizzle brands throughout the evening. And this is the main reason why I do not tap into these arguably very viable cards is because I feel that they do not forward my number one game plan which is always to resolve crystal brown turn one these cards are not crystal brown turn one they do other things and they enable other things and they are good when they are used and i think i am more likely to try out a troll rather than a traxa actually but the Turban Gristlebrand is the Turban Gristlebrand, and going down the number of Gristlebrands in the deck, I can't ever see why that in a vacuum is correct. I would perhaps be, you know, ready to do that for a very specific metagame. But this metagame for the evening that I played was quite diverse. So the first round, I start off against Nickfit, 
But this is a Nick fit that's quite heavy into red because of caves of chaos adventure and other stuff. So this is like the initiative, like Jean de Nick fit, essentially. I thought it was red green at first until I sort of towards the end spotted a copy of Grist and some discard. But so the first game, I basically take a little while to get off. So I think I have turned two Gristlebrand, but I have turned two Gristlebrand and I, I sort of close the game out from there because my opponent had so many creatures in his hand that me discarding them sort of really discouraged exhume because like hmm scavenging ooze um <laughs> right hmm double caves of chaos adventure <laughs> i don't want to really discard these cards and then exhume i i want to do uh something else the heavy heavy creature count and the specific composition of the creatures sort of kind of stalled me a bit uh, from closing the game out quickly but i got there in the end in the second game i was quickly subdued by a very well pl- placed uh, discard spell from my opponent's first turn that made my game plan quite hampered and i was surgical as well from there he topped like a surgical because i thought he's my opponent the coast seemed to be clear there is one unknown card and it's of course uh, a surgical but i mean it's it's brought in from the sideboard so it's that's fair but it was like ah i had such a good reanimation here and then in game three we both go hellbent pretty quickly but i have good things to do when hellbent so i eventually draw into a reanimation spell and get going with my trusty Archon of Cruelty, which is difficult for a Nick Fit game in top deck mode to handle. Yeah, it's pretty rough. And it was this one point, because I was stalled on mana for this game. I kept a Zero Lander with Petal and uh, Dark Ritual, and my opponent quickly played a Veteran Explorer, which they, in the end, had to, for reasons, uh, it had to die, essentially. So I got to get basics, and that helped me a lot. But I think it was a choice between the sort of hell or high waters for my opponent. So 2-1, and I think that's probably a, a decent, a, a sort of a, a proper result against against Nick Fit in that composition. So happy about that. Happy for a good start. Then <laughs> I play against an opponent who, in the first game, mulligans to five and then scoops to turn one Grisselbrand after sort of many shuffles here and there. I sort of, my turn one Grisselbrand wasn't also not a, I had like the, you know, land or ritual and tomb exhume in hand. But since my opponent, I presume my opponent knew what I was playing and my opponent mulliganed hard. So I'm thinking they're very likely sitting with sort of a force of will here. Or something similar. So I, I I can't afford to do this blind. So I had to sort of play around that. I think I did the Fateless Looting reanimation plan. And since my opponent then didn't stop me, I just sort of presumed to draw seven cards, unmask them, and then they scooped. In the second game, they mulligan super aggressively to four. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And they, they start off by playing Ancient Tomb, Lotus Petal, go what I'm, I'm like okay so i play like swamp thoughtsies and they see they have in hand karn and mystic forge so i take the karn they top the saga play the mystic forge and sort of starts to try and dig for whatever answer could be there but since the coast is super clear for me i can just steamroll from here so it turns out i was playing a sort of paradox engine mystic forge deck which i think Probably comes in the top three of excellent matchups for me. Yeah. I don't really see how I lose this game unless I need to mulligan really hard and they get like turn one Karn. But even with turn one Karn, I can see myself 
sort of doing good things here. Yeah, it does seem pretty stressful for them. You know, being a non-blue deck, and I don't know how heavy they are packing answers like Leyline of the Void stuff like no, that they they sort of they skewed on the on the hard hate and played a couple of surgicals but couldn't find them and like a soul guide lantern i think as well so i guess that's a pretty it's just a stressful time all around after the first game and sort of the mulligans were quick as well in the second game like nope 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 and they're like four okay i guess i can try and work with this and i'm like sitting there with my seven i'm like yeah okay i feel fine not that i'm i'm usually not on that side but for a long time, my like to-go deck was mono-red painter. So I do know that feeling. But, you know, at least I played, you know, some mind-break traps and... Oh, well, mind-break trap and surgical, that was it. And it's very stressful when you know that you have to mull towards one of those on the draw. But here on the play, I don't know. I think there's an argument to try and keep a hand that can try and kill you turn two or three and just accept the hits which seems like was their idea with their four yeah i think that's the the right philosophy to go with but it's very it's stressful it's always stressful even if you're a force deck you know playing against reanimator is always like staring down the barrel you need to have your wits about you so match number three i'm up against cradle control it turns out. So one of our long-standing Elves players has now switched into this version of this deck, which I think is an interesting and probably the correct way to go these days. But I am on the play, and I don't know what they're playing. And I decide to keep... It's a shaky, but I love the hand. So hear me <laughs> out. Right. Double Petals, Double Faithless Looting, Grief, Dark Ritual, Exhume. Okay. So I'm thinking... I have like, no, reanimate, not uh, reanimate, sorry, the moment I spell. So I have like a good number of draws to find at least something that I'm thinking I'm going to protect with the grief and then reanimate. But of course, I do double looting and I whiff completely. I don't even find a land. So I'm sitting there at the end. My last play (laughs) is to sort of play the grief anyway. And I see their hand and I see what they have there. And they have only one land and none hierarch and no other mana accelerations but also they have a reclaimer so i'm thinking well i've been digging so much like i want to buy myself time to dig some more so i take the hierarch which of course is not the correct thing to do because because no because they draw two lands in in succession so when i finally got my reanimation online they're sort of just waiting to bog me yeah i lose that game quickly from there and it's like this was the most fun decision, sort of how to sort of... Keeping the seven, of course, also is not a very correct thing to do. I was like, if this comes together, it's so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just give me something here and I'm gonna like... Mm. But it's also kind of unfortunate to whiff like that. I mean, it does happen, but, you know, why did it happen? Why did it have to happen to you? <laughs> yeah, because I'm digging like... I'm gonna dig at least... So I'm gonna... With the first draw step of turn two, I'm gonna dig five cards and I have like... Like I, I did sort of... I, I wouldn't say I did the math because I'm not that good, but I did the sort of the sort of math and i'm like yeah odds are odds are okay here let's go and just then just nothing but like that happens as you say and then in the second game i got off to a pretty good discardy start but then they top take a natural order and can just hoof me from there just bam because they had uh, the cradle and they had sort of yeah 
and I didn't really have all that much going on. I think it's this is a matchup I need to sort of I need to play it more for sure to get more secure and comfortable with playing it because I felt I was not on top of things here clearly it's tricky and i think it's one of those decks that can be deceivingly hard for a lot of decks compared to normal elves it's called control for a reason and you know when it reaches that critical mass of mana everything hurts when you play against it and i think that's uh, what makes the deck really cool actually because it can attack on so many angles and defend on so many angles i think that's pretty rare in legacy that's cool. It's a really cool deck. So in the last round, I sit down and I quickly realize that I'm playing against a version of blue, white, red Delver with no Delver, like Dragon's Rage, Channeler, Fourth Eorlingas, Merc Tides, you know, Lightning Bolts, Swords to Plowshares, all of these things going on. And I lose the first game, no discussion. It just a Dragon's Rage Chandler just rides to victory, counter magic, and I have nothing to sort of uh, show for it. Second game, I win pretty quickly and handily. I resolve, I think it's a Grizzly Brand that my opponent scoops, basically. And in the third game, I did a very sort of um, light sideboarding. I only brought in two Voidwalkers because I thought that my opponent would uh, board out their Lightning Bolts. And the Voidwalker is sort of, doesn't, win the game all by itself here but it's a pretty decent creature in this matchup because it fucks up with the graveyard yeah and it's a pretty it the clock gets real and perhaps i can you know on the off chance actually cast something that's been exiled who knows i go swamp dark ritual ritual resolves play a thought cease, take their plow and play a void walker so i have turn one void walker and they're like okay then i grief them and take i think a brainstorm or a ponder so i let them keep their force of will because they're not using it, because they're waiting for me to do something big with it. So they go like land ponder or something, and then I go land second Voidwalker, because I had both of them in my opening hand. And then I just start riding these Voidwalkers, and they sort of turn three, they go, okay, fourth Aerolingas X is one. Oh, yeah, that's risky. Yeah, because they need to dig, like they have nothing. Yeah. And they need to get rid of these Voidwalkers, and they need to start digging, knowingly that I'm going to draw more cards as well. But I mean, what else to do? Like, are you just going to stare down these these two Void Walkers and just sort of let them attack you? So we do that and we sort of keep the dance going for like two turns. They eventually find the Lightning Bolt, killing one of the Void Walkers. But I ha- then I'm able to cast Exhume and I have a Void Walker and a Grief in the graveyard. So they let it resolve. I take my Grief, take a card, and two turns later, I won. So the Void Walkers that I sort of bought it in on sort of an off chance that these might be a bit more useful than these other cards actually handed me game number three, which I thought was fun and interesting. I'm thinking of a t-shirt that I'm going to print to you. It's going to say, welcome to the Stone Age. And uh, whenever you <laughs> cast two or more discard spells on turn one, you're just going to open up your hoodie <laughs> and the revealed <laughs> welcome to the Stone Age t-shirt. But yeah, that's that's really cool. And I think like... Voidwalker is one of those cards that just, it having shadow and not menace is menacing. Yep. It's so strong. And the whole, uh, you know, exile their card. So, you know, Merktide's off the table. I don't know, like some people are really into Snapcasters. And, you know, it turns turns off a lot of things and makes Mystic Sanctuary a joke. That on top of just being a massive potential for, you know, discard you oh it's a bomb 
and then just mm. cast it. Like, might have been some of that on the Pro Tour. Uh, you know, there are so many applications with these cards that I think it's a very viable thing to board in as a reanimator yep. against a lot of decks yep. because yep. it's a plan B that attacks for free. That's very hard to deal with. Do you want to keep in your lightning bolts? Man, you have to. Yeah, which my opponent did, actually, not knowing that I boarded in the Woodwalkers. I guess they didn't have that much to, to sort of board in, I don't know. But what was interesting was that I had eventually, you know, some 15 cards with the Void Counters on them and never wanted to cast a single one of them, except I was very tempted at uh, casting that Lorian Ancestral Recoil card. But I was in a position where I was like, actually, three cards, trading that for my 3-2 creature isn't helping my game plan forward right now. I'm just going to keep attacking here because the chances of them countering a reanimation on something bigger is still so high because they are drawing two cards every turn at least, plus cantripping. And them drawing more cards, I think, benefits them more than benefits me. I think it's sort of the correct risk to take there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, of course, I, I could have drawn into like two Gristle Brands and two reanimation spells and one copy of Faithless Looting. You know, that could happen. But... They had a surgical extraction hand as well for quite some time, which I knew of. And that's a good sort of a good hedge against anything that I, sort of big that I might be doing. It was interesting. It was very tight. And I think also because this version of the deck doesn't play any Wastelands. And that's, of course, super helpful for me because the Wastelands really gets you, man. It's so hard. They're so good against my deck. After all these years, still good. From these last months, oh, well, years maybe, playing mostly Aluren. Wasteland is still the card that kills me the most. And it's when I don't, I, I'm not in a position where I can fetch basics and I just have to play duels out and I get wastelanded. That's the number one way I lose most of my games. It's good. And against, like, when you played against Cradle Control, you naturally drew zero lands one game. So getting wastelanded after your turn one play fizzles. Whew, that was a non game waiting to happen in either direction and that my friends is all we have for this episode before we go last call reminding you all about the upcoming nordic legacy masters 2nd september in malmo if you can make it make it make sure to go support events large and small and keep our community alive and kicking please how have you listener gone about breaking minds desire so far you can let us know in the discord server you can find the link in the episode description and in addition to discord you can find us on x we're at stockholm legacy also present personally on x christopher where can our listeners find you you'll find me at monolith mtg and i am at disco drogo and that is the end of the 96th episode of stockholm legacy report Thank you, Christopher Fikström. I am Victor Bernhards. Warm thanks to you for listening. It really means a lot to us that you do. The mystical and excellent artist Frönes has written our music. You can find more from them on Spotify. And until our next episode, take care and storm off safely. <laughs>